Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. I'm hanging out with Craig Cameron. And uh, if you don't know Craig, probably, uh, you know, has put on more horsemanship clinics or is in the top percentile of horsemanship clinics of probably all time, I would say. Um, also, Texas Cowboy Hall of Fame has just this cool career and a really unique perspective on training horses and this outlook and as well as got an old rodeo career and just goes back to the foundation of your whole life as I like dived into it this morning uh, I was like man this this guy has lived in a, a heck of a life so hey I appreciate you coming over here and hanging out at the house today Craig oh my privilege it's great to be here and just to hop as a skip from my house so man this was a nice to get a chance to get on over here of course the weather's been great here lately we've had a lot of rain so Man, we're as green as Ireland out there, aren't we? Man, it's we had about 10 days of it, and it is like bright green outside. I cannot believe it. So uh, I'm kind of excited to see the sun today. But, uh, man, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's been awesome here in Texas. To, it's going to be a pretty good year for growing grass and, and making some hay. So Absolutely. You know, uh, my wife was over there videoing the other day at your house. And uh, it, it was the road to the horse, is that what it was for? You know, uh, it was for a road to the horse. We were doing some just some... Uh, tack tips and stuff like that but uh you know of course the road to the horse event uh, colt starting world championships and uh for the first time uh with all this coronavirus it's been postponed until uh, about the middle of june so you know a lot of events postponed and uh i've probably never had so much time to ride my own horses <laughs> so in some ways you got to find the, the good out of it but uh you know we're hoping that the event will still take place in june but i think nobody knows but we'll uh, we're going to stay ready till then and just keep on rolling right right well so i was going through a little bit of this footage and watching this uh this interview that you're doing on your attack tips mm -hmm. and just all that uh and there's a quote in there that you made and someone's like you know craig you're still riding horses and you're, you're going to end up riding them till hell freezes over <laughs> And, uh, and your answer was, it looks like I'll be riding on ice. Yeah. You know, I just, uh, uh, I am getting up there a little bit, but, uh, you know, as you get older, hopefully you, you continue learning. I think that's really important that, uh, and that's as, as it should be, as you get older, you're, you get more experience. Experience is the one thing you can't buy, the one thing nobody can give you. And, uh, so you use that experience to, uh, to just keep making better horses and try to be a better horseman. So you bet, I love, and I still have that passion for the horses. I love going down there and just being around the horses, handling the horses, working with the horses, riding with the horses, just everything about it. Just uh, the way it feels, the way it smells, just, uh, you know, being in the saddle. You know, I, I think guys that love cowboying and like you roping, you know, there's nothing quite like it. It's still exciting for me every time I get down there with those horses. How old are you now? 71. 71. Yeah. And when did, you grew up in Houston, right? Yeah. And uh, when did the, you kind of get introduced to the, the cowboy, did you, is that something that you grew up in? Or? <laughs> well, I was lucky because uh, even though I grew up in Houston and uh, uh, we always had ranches in my family. So uh, the first ranch uh, that we had was in Cat Spring, Texas. Uh, just uh, an hour or so out of Houston back in those days you know it didn't take long to get out of there but we had a thousand acre ranch there and we ran cattle and uh, as a kid that's something I always loved that's where I wanted to be I just had that love for it from the beginning and them old cowboys back then that I that I got to hang around with and I would stay up there and spend the night with the ranch foreman's house those those old boys were 
born in the 1800s, you know, so I kind of learned that old time way and that old time feel. And uh, uh, so I was lucky like that. And then we eventually sold the ranch in Cat Spring, Texas, which is right out of Sealand. And then my grandmom bought the ranch in Lee County, which is outside of Giddings, Texas, an almost 2,000 acre ranch there. And so, uh, shoot, that's where I spent my time. And as soon as I graduated from high school, uh, shoot, that's uh, kind of where I moved and kind of where I was. Right. So growing up, you, you spent a ton of time on a horse. That was, I mean, when, you, when you're running cattle and, and the ranch deal, it's, it's a, there's long days on horses, and you're usually riding a lot of different horses as well because it seems like you, you kind of got to give them breaks and rotate through some, and it just that's usually the situation. But kind of that older ranch and feel like a horse was used for a job, right? Like that's they had a job, and it was kind of like on a ranch, and still it's like that at some ranches. It's that horse is he has his job, and that's to to help help work the cows, right? Well, you know that's the real part of it. You know, you get horseback, and uh, you know, growing up with those old timers, they like to do things the old way. But uh, you know, you don't feel uh, any more cowboy than when you're on the back of a horse you know I always say no man stands taller than when he sits on the back of a horse I think there's a lot of truth in that but uh, so you know as I started out I, heck I didn't know nothing about horses not really and uh, those old timers they were kind of rough on them old ponies you know right and uh, I, I, I kind of even as a little as a young guy I didn't like that rough part of horse felt like maybe there was a better way you know I wanted to get along with those horses as best I could but uh, I had to pick up what I could where I could and shoot uh, it was a long time uh, before uh, I met a guy named Hank Kirshner and he was from Oregon and uh, this was you know while I was rodeoing and stuff and and uh, he was pretty good with those horses and those colts and stuff and uh, he was showing me these kind of interesting things. I said, man, that's, that's cool. What is? And he said, well, uh, you need to meet a man, a man named Ray Hunt. So this was about in the mid-1980s, and, and he was telling me about this man named Ray Hunt that had all these really interesting techniques, and his philosophy was mostly about working with the horse and not against the horse. And so then I heard later that this man, Ray Hunt, was going to be in... Uh, San Angelo, Texas. So uh, uh, I went ahead and drove all the way out there, and that was sort of a life-changing event for me when I met Ray Hunt and got to watch him work and realized there was a better way to work with these horses, not trying to make it happen, but let it happen. And it was a whole different deal, and the result was just so much better. And, uh, shoot, I've kind of been on that trail ever since. So Ray Hunt kind of gets you introduced to this working with the horses yeah and. absolutely you know and uh so you know every chance i got after that when he would be anywhere uh, in our neck of the woods or in texas man i'd i'd go uh, see him i'd go watch him and i got to know him uh, uh and uh you know it just it just and i tried to emulate what he did and so the more i worked at it the more I, you know would figure things out a lot of things on my own and uh but everything was about looking at things from the horse's point of view, trying to see what that horse sees and hear what he hears and feel what he feels. And you take a whole different outlook and uh, giving that horse time to, to do things and it's okay for him to make a mistake. And as Tom Dorn said, you know, Tom is really who 
kind of uh, taught Ray. And later on, I was fortunate enough to get to meet uh, Tom Dorrance. And what, what an incredible man, a true genius when it came to the horses. Uh, there's never really been anybody else quite like Tom Dorrance. And, uh, you know, one of his philosophies was uh, when you ran into a problem to make the wrong thing difficult, the right thing easy. There's a lot of different ways to do that, but if you kind of stick with that philosophy, I think uh, you're gonna make uh, a lot of good progress and you open it up where the horse is able to learn because it truly is a learning process for the horse and definitely for the man. In other words, Pace, you know, like I know, nobody comes in the world knowing how to handle or ride a horse. It's, it's an ongoing lifetime learning experience. Well, as you know, we, X Factor Roping, we, we deal with team ropers. And so there's this real unique thing where a lot of people come into the sport that, that don't necessarily have a horse background. or uh, So they, they're kind of learning two things at once, how to rope and ride a horse. And, uh, and we, we videoed with, with you and, and Cole a couple of years ago, just kind of on the, some foundation of, on horsemanship. And you said one thing that really jumped out into my mind. Of, yeah, you know, everyone knows the analogy that a horse can feel a fly on his back. But you talked about uh, the piece of steel in their mouth mm-hmm. and, and how to use your hands. And it, when you think about that, you're putting a, a piece of steel in your mouth and then you watch these team ropers, man, we, well, I, I mean, I'll be the first to admit I'm, I'm not the best <laughs> horseman, but, uh, you know, that, that's when I really started like it, as I would ride around and just have some time just on my horse and I, I could kind of ponder like, hey, what, what do they feel with this bit? What do they feel when I'm using two hands as opposed to one where my reins are at? And, and that's when it just, that, that really hit me hard where you're talking like this, I mean, these cues that we are giving our horse, we can be light. And mm-hmm. when, when did that kind of, that philosophy start setting in as these, uh, like these lighter cues and, and how to essentially how to keep a horse soft or how to train them to be soft? You know, I think the first time you start seeing amazing results by offering the horse a better deal. Really, you're offering yourself a better deal too. You know, just, uh, and one word you used a moment ago was foundation. It doesn't matter whether you're uh, riding a barrel horse or a cutting horse or a, a reining horse or a roping horse. You need to lay a great foundation. And that foundation starts the moment you start to put your hands on these horses. Sometimes the most important day a horse will ever have is the you know the first day you uh, ride him or start to saddle him or work with him. You can either make that good or you can make that bad. You know, I'm gonna go out of my way to make it as good as I can for that horse. And so again, if a guy would literally take the time to try to see things from the horse's point of view. So a lot of what we call natural horsemanship uh, in my opinion, is not so natural for the horse. In other words, he didn't come in the world uh, with a, a saddle on his back. He didn't come in the world with that steel in his mouth, like we talk about. He dang sure didn't come in the world with a two-legged, meat-eating predator on his back. So we need to remember that the horse has been around for millions of years, and he's been one thing that whole time. He, he's a, a prey animal, and he has a prey animal mentality. So a prey animal, is an animal that other animals eat. And so the only way you could know how that feels is to be hunted or maybe I could shove you overboard after we chummed up a couple of 20 foot uh, great white sharks or something, you know, you got a whole different attitude. So when you get rough with a horse, when you start 
presenting things in a way he can't understand and you don't give him the time it takes for him to understand, then what does he go to? He goes to instinct, the, the instinct of a prey animal, which is fight, flight, or freeze. And so, you know, I'm trying to stay away from that. And uh, so I don't want to push so hard that he has to go to that. In the beginning, of course, as I offer life up to this horse, the first time I work with him, the first time I present a flag or a lariat rope or a saddle pad or the saddle, shoot, yeah, that's all right. He might have to get scared to realize he doesn't need to be scared. In the beginning, when I first saddle him, he might have to buck to realize he doesn't need to buck. That's okay. That's learning, see? So I allow that horse to do that. What I'm saying is don't take his self-preservation away from him. It's too important to him. So allow him to use it to realize he doesn't need to use it. And pretty soon, man, guess what? You're earning that trust. You're earning that respect. You're gaining that confidence. So those three things I just mentioned, you either, you either earn them or you lose them. So I want to be aware of that every day in my horse's training, whether it's his first ride or his thousandth ride. So, you know, I want to make my time with my horse the best part of his day, not the worst part of his day. And uh, if you offer it up like that, I guarantee you they'll meet you at the gate. Right. Self-preservation. That, that's a really, I've never heard it put that way. Uh, man, that's, I, I love that perspective on it. Because um, I, I, I totally agree. I, I think that understanding that these horses, um, they, they are afraid and they, and there's a right and a wrong way for us. Exactly. But, yeah. but, but it's not cut and dry with them. And, and it's not cut and dry and, and that right and wrong way. One thing I'd like to mention is uh, you don't have to do it exactly my way. There's more than one way to do things the right way. But to me, anything that's scaring or hurting the horse is probably incorrect. So it doesn't mean I don't use firmness from time to time if I, if I need to. But if I use that firmness, it must in the end have a, a, a learning and a positive effect. Because if it had a negative effect, then I probably didn't do it the right way or do a very good job. If I use that, if I use that firmness to get back to softness. In other words, I'm saying to that horse, hey, you give, I'll give. You yield, I'll yield. You be soft, I'll be soft. And man, I guarantee you, they'll be right there for you. So it's not the pull or the kick that makes a horse good, it's the release. As I pick up on that bit, as I use my leg or my spur, as that horse moves off of it and does the right thing, man, I remove it. That's that release that we talk about. And it's the release that makes them good. It's the release that makes them great. It's the release that's their motivation, their reason, their incentive to do what you want them to do. So if you don't put the release in there, pretty soon they're just out there surviving. Do you think that's what makes a great horseman too, is understanding the cue and then how quick they can release? Absolutely. You know, it is an understanding and you won't come in the world knowing it. You're going to have to learn it. It's a, you must, it must be learned. So again, nobody comes in the world knowing how to do this. Uh, so that's what we mean when we say uh, great horses are made, they're not born. Great cowboys are made, they're not born. In other words, a horse can be born with all the breeding, all the confirmation, maybe even a great disposition. But if somebody goes out there and presents it wrong and uh, takes that confidence away, destroys that trust, 
well, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of breeding you had. You know, you may never get it back 100% because horses are smart. They're like elephants or like women. They never forget. They, they, they don't forget, <laughs> they do don't they? Forget, they don't forget, man. That, that's, a, that's a smart trait, see? That's a, you have to be smart to never forget. So, uh, so again, we want to be, if we would look at it this way, don't go out there and work on your horse, you know, uh, work on yourself because when you get good, the horse will get good, say, and, and that's a pure and simple fact. You know, the horse seeks the level of the rider. That's why when one guy gets on a horse, you think, man, look at that sorry son buck there. Another guy gets on the same exact horse and you go, man, that's a nice horse right there. And the reason being, one man is effective, the other man is ineffective. And that's the difference. So if you, to work on yourself, uh, what are we talking about? We're talking about uh, your feel, your timing, your rhythm, your tempo, your balance, your patience, your consistency. And all these are not just physical. It's physical, mental, emotional, mind, body, and spirit. You know, you, you need to kind of develop all three because uh, not only do you have them, the horse certainly has all three as well mind, body, and spirit. Say that spirit thing is sort of an elusive thing. You might have to think about that a little bit, but uh, truly it's just, it's there and it's real. Right, right. So when a horse doesn't understand and we're getting, we're getting a result from a cue or whatever, especially in a team roping run that we're not asking for, and we have to be firm or mm -hmm. have to give the cue, what does that look like for you? Well, to me, again, you know, uh, uh, the team roping event, it's fast, it's quick, you know. And so, uh, uh, you know, you want to, <clears throat> I think one of the secrets would be is as you're <clears throat> developing this horse, the last thing I want to do is just go out there and start, you know, chasing cattle around or coming out of the box trying to <laughs> make it happen. So you must lay that foundation. Just like a house, the first thing you build is a good foundation because if the foundation's no good you know in a flood or over a period of time that house is going to just fall apart uh, so again lay that foundation of trust of following a feel following a feel what with what your hands your bits your legs your range your spurs on the ground on the back so if we give the horse time to figure these things out and then when we're ready we just start uh, tracking maybe slow cattle or you could just track a, like a helomatic or something and that horse is learning and you're using those cues like with your hands and your outside rein and your legs and when I use my spurs I'm not stabbing and jabbing which might trouble or bother that horse I'm pushing and I'm pressing and I'm squeezing and as that horse moves over and does the right thing I'm turning loose of him there's always something in it for the horse so Laying that foundation can take time, and uh, but that's like if you buy a really good horse from me, that's what you're paying for. You're paying for my time, so it takes time to make a good one. So, and so just like us, like a guy says, man, I'd, I'd like to learn that team rope, and well, shucks, it's going to take you some time to get there, and you wouldn't want somebody embarrassing you or pushing on you or asking you to do things you're not ready to do. So if you could go slow and be consistent and work at it a little bit, understand it's okay to make a mistake because that's how you're gonna learn. It'd be the same for the horse. And before long, a year goes by and man, you feel like you're getting better. 
guess what? Another year goes by. You're even better. And that's never going to end. You're going to keep getting better. But you must give yourself and your horse time. In other words, that's patience. I always say patience is waiting, waiting without worry. Don't be so worried. Quit trying to get it today, you know. Ride them today like they are today. Do a good job, and tomorrow they'll be better. Yeah. So coming up with a game plan each day, let's say we got a horse that, that we're working on, and and you, you this is what I think we run into a lot with horse trainers is we have guys that there's a fraternity or there's an event, and they feel like they got a press to have this horse ready. And this is why they get blown up, in my opinion. This is why we run into a lot of holes in our foundation because we're trying to advance them so fast for an event where I, I personally have found the best results for, like I got a, a horse, a head horse. He's probably the best one I've ever rode. He's eight years old. We raised him. But when his five-year-old his, yeah, his five year, I was just practicing on him. My dad had kind of rode him at a few rodeos and I was just practicing on him. And every day I rode him, I just did what I thought he needed to do. And then there was about 60 days in a row, or six, like two months probably, where he was as good or better than all of my horses every day. And I didn't realize it until I looked back at it. But what I noticed was I would just did what that horse needed yeah. each day. If, he, if I felt like, so what I would do is at the end of each practice, I would kind of assess the practice and say, okay, you know what? I probably ran too many on him. I need to come back and score the next day and really make sure he's got some confidence in the box. And then if I wanted to work on something else, I would do that. But I, I just, each day I had a plan and this is end up, I mean, he's eight years old now and he's the best one I have and he's the best one I think I've ever rode. But, and, and, and what's unique about him is he's not the most talented. He's just the easiest one. You know, it just seems like whatever situation you put us in, we kind of know where to be and, and it's yeah. like I'm, he's almost a winner yeah. and I think I got lucky doing that maybe I have been able to watch my dad and he doesn't ever get upset with horses and he just kind of rides them yeah. for what they are and yeah. but um, is that something that you try to apply is just hey what what does this horse need today and then at the end of the day do you look at it like okay so this is how that went tomorrow I need to put together this is what we're going to work on and kind of have that plan or how, how does that the day-to-day -day work oh I think I like what you said you know the time and remember what you're saying each horse is an individual so what I do on one horse I don't necessarily do on the other they are truly individuals and they're individuals from what from the way uh, they're bred the way they've been handled or not handled their own experiences in life and so as a horseman you must learn to adjust to fit the horse the situation and the circumstance and guys that changes not necessarily from uh, week to week or day to day. It actually changes from moment to moment. I mean, I know you know that. So, so again, yeah, I'm just gonna work a little bit. I'm not, you know, the old saying, a good cow, a good cowboy knows when to quit. So again, don't ask for too much, too fast. You know, be patient with your horses. And uh, I swear, one of the keys again is consistency. I like what you said. You rode him a little bit each day. I think that's wonderful. Don't overdo it. Don't get them to where they dread it. Don't get the hammering on these horses. What you were talking about a moment ago, like the fraternities and stuff. Well, you know, in a way, <clears throat> I understand the horse industry. It does, in a way, when you get into that part, it's it's about the money. And uh, so you're, you've got to have, have this three-year-old horse ready. 
well, that particular horse really may not be able to handle that mentally, or maybe he can't handle it physically, or maybe he doesn't handle it emotionally because they're all different. There'll be those couple in there that can, but in the meantime, maybe you, uh, you know, uh, maybe you messed up of quite a few others. So to me, I, I just have got to the point where I really take my time, I really slow things down, almost the old Vaquero style, you know, where uh, you just take your time with these horses. The old Vaqueros used to, of course, their slogan was always, you know, we don't get it today, we get it tomorrow, you know, manana. So, but uh, again, I understand also that uh, we have the fraternity system and in the barrel horses and the cutting horses and everything. So, and uh, again, in a way that's unfortunate because the victims become the horses sometimes. But, uh, uh, you know, it's a beautiful thing to see an incredible horse that's had the right amount of training and done the right way. A lot of times the Vaquero horses, they didn't have them finally finished or straight up in the bit until they were seven, eight, or nine years old. I, I remember as a kid, a lot of times we didn't start those horses until they were three or four years old, uh, but we didn't, but we rode them until they were 30, you know? A lot of horses are crippled up and, and banged up, you know, and then they're three or four years old. So. Again, I'm not saying I have the answer or what I'm saying is correct. I'm not faulting or criticizing anybody, but I know that the best results I have are just what you said, being patient, taking my time, allowing these horses to learn. And when you do that, in the end, you're gonna have a really uh, solid, healthy uh, horse that shoots you that's gonna be around for a long time. Well, and I think that's the, like a true horseman to me is someone that knows that, like how to get, you know, you ride them each day and, and it doesn't matter if it's a fraternity or a barrel race mm -hmm. or a team rope and jackpot or whatever it is, but you know where that horse's limits are and how to kind of, how to keep it fun for them exactly. and how to keep their mind right and understanding that balance. And, and I, I mean, is that, is that what makes a great horseman to you? I think a great horseman it does. He, he, again, he sees things from the horse's point of view. That's very important. You know, he has a good feel for the horse. That's the language that you're gonna use, the feel. The feel physically, mentally, and emotionally. You know, to be actually to be really good to these horses. And so to me, you know, I like to do what I call, uh, I call it the cross training. So some days we ride in the arena. Some days we go out on the trail. Some days I, I just, uh, I cross obstacles. Some days I track cattle. I, I switch it up a little bit uh, where this horse, uh, again, is enjoying the process. That doesn't mean that, you know, one day we might ride uh, that horse 30 minutes. The next day we might uh, go an hour. The next day we might go to our branding and be saddled all day. The next day we might have to ride, uh, you know, and go 20 miles. You know, the next day, uh, shoot, we just turned him out. So we're switching it up so that this horse stays fresh uh, mentally and uh, stays sound physically and is confident emotionally. You know, it's not an easy thing to do because we want those instant results today. Everything is instant. All these uh, luxuries that have now become necessities like our telephones and and all these things that just give us these instant results, you know. So I think horse training, you know, when done correctly, 
you know, you want to be patient, you want to go slow, but at the same time you're making progress. Progress can be a function of time and intensity, and I want to find a balance of each, you know, for myself and for that horse. So for those guys out there that are trying to figure out that if, if I want to be a horse trainer, this is what I'm meant to do in my life, has it been all about the process for you? It is about the process, and I'm, and I'm still, you know what, I, I, I go out there every day, honestly, as a student of the horse. I swear I tell myself, I don't just say it, I, I live it, I try to do it. I say to myself, Craig, ride better today than you did yesterday. Craig, be better on the ground than uh, you were yesterday. I, I'm really striving to improve on my timing and my feel for these horses and keep giving something back to those horses. And what can I give back? I, I give release, relief, relaxation, reward, a pet on the neck. You know, you gotta be good to these horses. I, I truly believe these horses know when you like them and they know when you don't. And I think to be good at horses and horsemanship, no matter which uh, uh, of the disciplines you're in, uh, you, you gotta really like these horses and you gotta give something back. So as I'm training, I, ooh, I love to put what I call those recesses or those pauses in there. You know, I mean, I could just keep going, but I think if you just keep going and never let the horse stop and think about it and relax and take a deep breath and turn loose, turn loose mentally and physically, that that's where they gentle up, where, that's where they learn, that's where they get good. So those little recesses in there within a training session to me are, are super important. I don't care if it's a horse's first ride, the first day I'm going to saddle him, I put a lot of pauses in there and allow him to relax and I'm watching him. You watch those horses, you can tell when they're relaxing. You must learn to read the horse by watching his eyes and his ears and the tilt of his head, his body position, his expression, is he licking his lips, blinking his eyes, wiggling his ears, dropping his head, turning loose of his breath. I mean, I'm watching that stuff, I'm observing that stuff, I'm seeing it. And so again, I wanna be on top of my game. So I, I try to work on myself each and every day to get better because again, when I get good, I guarantee you that's when that horse gets good. Right, and and just being in it every day, I, I love that because it's 71 years old. <laughs> you, you were riding them this morning and, and gonna be riding them tomorrow and, and that's what you were doing 30, 40 years ago, right? Yeah, true enough, you know. And uh, I kind of laugh sometimes, people say, uh, they'll come watch me start a colt or ride a horse and they go, well, that, that's, uh, I saw you 25 years ago. That's not exactly how you did it. I go, thank you. <laughs> I mean, hopefully I'm getting better, see? And so I'm making those changes as need be. I'm always willing to change. I always say, if you can't change, you can't grow. If you can't grow, you can't be your best. And really, if you can't be your best, what else is there? So I'm striving for it. So, you know, and uh, Horsemanship is like life. You're gonna have good days and bad days. The same for the horse. Quit expecting him to be perfect every day. Maybe he doesn't feel good today. Maybe he's hurting somewhere that you're not even aware of. But what you need to recognize is that he's trying. So today, maybe he gave me 75% of what I know he's capable of, but by accepting that 75% today, maybe tomorrow, he'll give me 110. So. Again, it's all about working with the horse and not against the horse. Right. Well, and I think for like my analogy is if we're, for example, if I'm working on my swing roping or if I am exercising or something and there's something new that I'm teaching myself or that I'm working on, 
I go practice it and I usually, now I can go watch myself and then I can visualize it and then I can kind of emulate that, that same style or I can pick up on what other guys are doing or how they use their hands and right. all of these things. Right. But as a horse, you don't have that option. Right. So you have to understand that there has to be time for them to realize what they did was right or what they did was wrong. Exactly. That's really correct because uh, uh, I love what you just said there because that's seeing things from his point of view. And uh, you bet. So he, he doesn't exactly know what's right or wrong for a lot of the things we're asking. So he's, he's having to feel his way through that. So when things aren't correct, he's feeling some sort of pressure with your hands or your bits or your legs or your spurs but as he comes across correctly there must be that softness and that release so he does know and through time through uh, uh, patience through repetition he begins to figure it out and that's why again uh, a lot of professional trainers are going to have uh, better results than uh, say a guy that's just a weekend guy so if you in other words if you can ride you know five or six times a week and do a good job of it, do it correctly, uh, not making things happen, but allowing them to happen, then those horses, there's no way they're not gonna get better. So sometimes people will say to me, like if they're starting a colt, uh, you know, they, they say, Craig, I feel like I'm starting over every time I, I go out there. I go, when do you go out there? They go, every Saturday. I go, yes, you are starting over every time. So because like on starting a colt, yeah, you, you need to be consistent. So. Uh, but again, there's a lot of aspects going into horses and horsemanship. Say horse, man or woman, and the relationship you build. So whether it's any good or not, it's, uh, so much of the time is not going to depend on the horse. It's going to depend on you. So again, uh, I'll repeat that again. Uh, when we get good, the horses get good. Right. So what about the horse when he's ready to learn? Uh, we just talked about being fresh. Like if you rode him once a week, obviously you're not. It's hard to build on anything, really. And uh, if you're riding them consistently, right, and yeah. you've got their mind where it needs to be, you'll kind of find the days like, okay, he's doing pretty good. He might be or, or maybe even getting stale. And you might could give him a couple of days off and let him freshen sure, up yeah. or, or take him and go do something else with them, especially if they're pretty young. But what about warming them up and getting them ready to actually listen? <laughs> I think that's an excellent point and one that I try to make continuously at every clinic. I always say you're always, always going to get a better ride if you warm your horses up. You can't ride a fresh horse and do a good job. You can't ride a hurting horse and do a good job. You know, you can't ride a mad horse and do a good job. To get the fresh off those ponies, oh man, you're going to do so much better. So. People say, well, how do you do that? Well, there would be a lot of ways to do it. A lot of times what I do is uh, uh, you don't have to have a round pin. You could have a square pin. You could have a lunge line. But just to move those horses around a little bit. And again, when they start out, if their head is up, if they're stiff, their tail is, you know, got a kink in it or sticking up or they feel uh, hard as a, a plate of steel. Now, that horse is, I don't want to get on that horse. I want to wait till he relaxes. I'm watching for that horse to turn loose, to again, drop his head, wiggle his ears, blink his eyes, turn loose of his breath. You can hear him, you know, those things are just important. And I, I'm just working quietly and efficiently until I see him begin to turn loose and relax. 
you know, all my horses, I want to get them really good on the ground. Uh, I, I feel the better a horse is on the ground, the better he's going to be when you get up on his back. So I want to earn that respect. And again, respect is a two-way street, a mutual regard and an understanding coming from both ways. So I always say the horse, perfect, perfect by nature, untouched by man. Perfect. He was just perfect till we got involved. So again, as we ask the horse to step into our world, we're asking something of him. He's not really asking much of us except for a good deal. So again, I want to allow him to learn and give him the time it takes for him to learn. So I, I get, if I'm going to introduce a flag or a rope, that's exactly what I do. I introduce it. I don't force anything upon these horses. I offer it up in a way he can understand, then give him the time it takes for him to understand. Every horse will be a little bit different. But if I can get these horses really quiet with like a flag, with a tarp, uh, you know, with my lariat rope, and I do these things pretty regularly. It doesn't even take me that much time. And pretty soon, man, they get so quiet and they get so good. And then like if you work for me, I always say start at a walk, end at a walk. I don't get on my horse and just kick him in the sides and lope off 90 miles an hour and then then somebody turns around and say the horse learns through repetition i say yeah but look at the repetition you're offering to him no wonder he doesn't stand still when you go to get on him soon as you get on him you kick him to go he's saying man i'm going to get going before this guy can kick me so so again he's hard to get on because he's ready to get rolling so be careful what you're teaching these horses you may not think you're teaching but the horse, he's always learning. So to me, I get the fresh off those horses. I'll introduce them to those flags a lot, just while they're standing there, while I'm saddling them, I'll touch them all over. Sometimes I'll just take the time to throw a few loops at my horse. They get where they're just quiet, quiet, quiet. I pick up their feet. I don't drop them on the ground, I set them on the ground. I work with respect. The same when I bridle a horse. I don't force the bit in his mouth. I, I rub his tongue like with my thumb and when he opens his mouth I just lift with my right hand and I'm, I, I'm respectful of those ears when I put the bridle on and when I take it off I don't rip it out of his mouth when I saddle a horse I set the saddle on his back I don't smash it down I, when I cinch him I cinch him a little bit at a time so that my horse never gets cinchy he stays comfortable he, he enjoys being around me all these kind of things that make a difference so I mean I could just to keep on going I mean when I get on a horse I don't, especially a training horse, I don't, if there's not a stampede or, or something like that, I make that horse, I get that horse to stand still and wait for me. Pretty soon he, he just stands, he'd stand there all day. And maybe I flex him a little to the right, flex him to the left. I take my foot back and move the hip or the hindquarters to the right a step, and to the left a step, the front end to the right and to the left. Side pass him a step or right and to the left. Back him up a step. Man, I'm, I'm going through that checklist like a, pilot on on an airplane you watch you get on an airplane you look at those pilots they're going through the checklist you know so uh, i do this consistently and pretty soon they're amazing then i do it while their feet are moving i just start at a walk flex right flex left soften in the pole push that hip right haunches in haunches out i can do a leg yell right leg yell all at a walk counter bend right and putting handle on my horse at a walk it's amazing how much handle you could put on your horse just at a walk and you're building that solid foundation 
And when it gets good at a walk, what am I ready for? Well, you know, I'm ready to try it at a trot. So, and it just goes on and on like that. And pretty soon you have these amazing animals. You're truly, you're literally communicating with these horses. And now that, now that's a horseman. Well, and I think that's the big thing is we're communicating whether, whether we like it or not. And, uh, and the other thing I, I think that's kind of, um, I hadn't really thought about it like that, but everything we do on the ground is either building trust or losing trust or we're showing them something from the way we lead them to saddle them, just like you said, and to, to understand that no matter, we don't have a choice. They're going to, it's in their nature that they're going to watch us and they're going to react and, and how we treat them, they're, they're going to see that and respond to that. And so the, the more respect you have, I, I, I love how that, that mindset the whole time from the ground to when we get on our horse is we have that. And if you, that mindset is realize what this horse is either thinking or going through, I, I think that's a, that's a big, big deal. As well as like, do you, do you think having them, like let's just say a, an older horse that we don't warm up on the ground too much, but like, like I got a horse at six or seven that we're still kind of training and finishing out roping. What would you do? Let's say we want to soften them up that day, and we're gonna we're gonna work on a few things on their flex throughout the run, and or how they're feeling, like listening to my hand throughout the run. Mm-hmm. Would you warm that horse up, like just kind of at a walk and then a trot, and they just kind of get them a little bit, yeah. almost like almost a little bit tired, to wait for them to start listening? Oh, and, I, I, you know, the old saying, you know, Pates, a tired horse is a good horse, but when we say tired, we don't mean so tired that they can't you know, about to fall over or something. We're just saying that fresh off of them, but you can get that fresh off in a very productive way. In other words, like like when I start at a walk, just like I'm saying, flexing right, flexing left, pushing that hip right, pushing that hip left. If you can move that hip right and left, that's gonna be your lead char- uh, departure, and that's gonna be your lead change someday. So again, a good exercise is to just like do a loose rein posting trot, just on a loose rein, you're just, going somewhere even if you're just in the roping arena you're just traveling see and then all of a sudden i might say to myself now sit the trot slow the trot collect the trot in other words i put my legs on my horse when i put my legs on a horse i'm not saying speed up i'm saying bridle up and position up oh man that's the best feeling in the world so we got to get these horses what we call broke in the belly. So again, I want to put my legs on them. I don't want them scared of my legs. I want them uh, uh, understanding. I'm communicating with my seat. I'm communicating with my legs as much or more as I do with my hands. The one thing I don't want to be is like hand dominated. I, I want to uh, uh, guide this horse. I want to communicate with this horse as much with my seat and legs as I do my hands. So that's a wonderful exercise. Just And then when you go to a lope, you could do uh, the same thing. You're loping on a loose rein, then you pick up that soft feel for position. You put your legs on that horse, go four strides, four or five strides in a collect position, then throw him away. And then pick after five or six or seven strides, you pick him up and collect. And pretty soon, he's just softening in your hand. He's very responsive. And when I say, whoa, man, I want my horses to stop. Now, I teach that to them slowly. I don't stop the horse by ripping him in the ground. If you want to take the stop off your horse, if you want to get him nervous, if you want to get him apprehensive, if you want to get him unsure, start just yanking and ripping on the bit. And that'll be a good way to do it and build a lot of resentment in that horse. 
It's again, it's not about pulling on the horse. It's about him following a feel. When you do this right, ooh, man, they were just melt into the ground. So depending on your discipline, you just, again, practice these things slow. You build it up. You're communicating with your hands, your seat, your legs, your range, your spurs, on the ground, on his back, physically, mentally, emotionally. You truly have a relationship with this horse. Horsemanship, relationship between you and your horse. He knows you and you know him. And again, it takes time to do it. But if you take that time, you're gonna have the best horses you've ever had. Take the time to slow things down, develop a great horse, and I guarantee that you'll end up in the winner's circle a lot more often. Right, so as we're getting on those horses and we're wanting to work on it and train on them a little bit, setting the tone from the time, like, hey, when go to a loose rein, then put pressure, and, and just nice and slow, just make sure they're listening and they've got some feel, and then they get that release. That's right, yeah. And, yeah, you're just, you're getting the, you're basically setting the, I, I like that, I like that, setting the tone for, for how the practice and everything's going to go. And, man, I I think that's where we get lost, especially team ropers. We're, we're, I might be the, the worst of them all, but it's... <laughs> well, y'all, it's, it's hard for y'all because you you're doing this fast event. You know, you're trying to be under 10 seconds. 10 seconds, my gosh. So, again, it's, it's that repetition. But I think the secret that a guy could do would be to lay a foundation to really be with be willing to go slow in the beginning to allow this horse to learn because to me the speed is the easy part and that's going to come last but that's going to be the easy part because he's going to know what it is that you want so laying that foundation of flexibility position control remember flexibility gives you position position gives you control heck controls the name of the game and so then as this horse gets better, pretty soon you're ready to add a little more speed and just a pinch more speed and just a time or two and don't overdo it and don't ride him till he gets sore and soured out and hates the rope and box. And you know, you gotta remember they're a living, breathing, decision-making animal. In other words, they're just like you and me. They get hot, they get cold, they get sick, they get well, they have good days and bad days, just like you and me. So, so again, you know, kind of treat them the way you like somebody uh, treats you, work with them the way you'd like somebody to work with you, teach them the way you'd like somebody to work with you. In other words, kind of use the golden rule with these horses. I think you'll end up with a, with a nice horse. And again, I'm not saying to baby the horses. Use that firmness where it has a learning and a positive effect. As that horse gives, you soften right up. There's something in it for him. I guarantee you, they'll be right there for you. Right, and as, as we're going fast and we speed up, because that's, that's one of the hardest things about roping, is when there's a lot of teams or a competitive roping, like an open roping or something, they want the most out of your horses. Yeah. And so as a roper, you've got to establish that in the practice pen that you can make that run. But Absolutely, it, yeah. And it's not the best thing for our horse because, the, I mean, we, we videoed with uh, Lane Ivy uh, mm -hmm. last year, and he said, and I, I don't know why I never thought about it, but it's, it's so true, but the funnest part of the job for the horse is to chase the cow. Yeah. That's really what we're breeding our horses to do. Yeah. But the rest of it is work. So the harder we make it on these, these horses in these situations, the easier it is for them to burn out. So we've kind of got to be able to ride that line between adding speed and then pulling it back and making sure that we have this feel and this foundation on our horse that we can always go to because I, I, I might have you repeat this for me again, but the, the control in the run, where does the control 
come from, the position, correct? Right, yeah. So as a team roper, if you're in the correct position, your percentages go through the roof. I mean, if you're in the right spot, yeah. where your percentages are so high. So our goal is to get to that correct position. And how do and how do we get the, to that spot? And that that's through being able to have feel through our horse. Right. And the reputation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's tough. I, I you know I, I listen to uh, yeah you know great uh, ropers teach roping and, and God there's just so much to it. Like uh, uh, you know from the sidelines it looks like you just you know just yaw and just the sling a loop. Oh my lord. There's so much to it about your position, your hand position, your your rope, your loop, the tip of your rope, going to the horn. My gosh, there's a lot going on in a short period of time. So that makes it tough right there. And again, that repetition does become key. So one thing you mentioned a while ago was visualization. And I think all great athletes today, whether it's football, baseball, bull riding, team roping, figure skate, they use visualization and positive thinking. So when you visualize yourself, you want to visualize a positive run and uh, you want to keep telling yourself that you can do it. You don't, don't think about the things that can go wrong. You must think about all the things that uh, you visualize yourself doing everything correctly. So uh, I think you know that gets into the uh, the mental part of the game as well. So, gosh, there's so much going on, and there's that mental part for the horse as well. So, right. lots of stuff. What about you for the mental part? How do you try to create mental consistency as a as a horseman? Because yeah. I have heard this a lot, and you you might have a pretty strong opinion on this. But is there room for emotions when you're riding your horse? Oh, absolutely. For you bet. See, emotion, motion. The things that move you. It'd be the same for the horses, you and me. The things that move you are what? Happy, sad, troubled, bothered, sure, unsure. I mean, I'm just trying to think of the different things. So we have them, the horse has them. So you want to start practicing positive input, positive thinking. That, that It can actually change your whole life. In other words, like when you walk up to catch your horse, See, this is what horses do for a living. They read people, they read other horses, they talk to other horses through movement, through a swish of a tail, a flicker of an ear, you know, a, a pickup of a hoof. I mean, they're watching and observing and feeling. So, you know how it is like, uh, you, if somebody's walking up, you, you can almost say, God, that guy looks like he's, he's pissed off. That guy, that guy looks like he's in a bad mood. Like, so if you go to catch your horse and you're, not thinking positive, or maybe you're in a bad, it, this is just my opinion, I think the horse picks up on it almost instantly. That's what they do. So to have a good feel, a happy feel, a positive mood, a positive feel, when you go to work your horse, to catch your horse, to saddle a horse, I think that horse picks up on it. And uh, so I think those horses really respond to it. And uh, you think about it, they take a, like a, like if they do a, a test on your brain or EKG on your heart or your brain, you know what they're picking up? It's electricity. So there's truly something real, there's something physical. So to me, I, I try to make a point of having a good feel and picture good things. I swear it makes a difference in my horse. So as I'm riding, I try to 
not look down, I look where I'm going, I focus on what I'm going, I focus on what I want to look like, what I want to happen before it happens, uh, go where I want to go before I get there. I want things, I want to have, that's that preparation, see? That preparation, it's everything. Know what you're going to do before you do it. Try to know what the horse is going to do before he does it. If you wait until after he does it, you're too late. So again, being prepared, positive imagery, positive thinking, you know, positive output, you know, a good feel, you know, I swear it carries into your horsemanship. So, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to think I'm kind of getting out there when I talk like that, but I swear for me it works. And for some of the better horsemen I've talked to, uh, I think it works. I, I gotta, I gotta agree there. There's energy and, you know, good vibes or what, whatever, but I think that's a big thing. I don't have as much knowledge into it, but I, I, you can understand it. When you, I've got a horse out there, if I walk up there fast and I'm in a hurry to go catch him, yeah. I'm not going to catch him. <laughs> and if I just walk up and I'm kind of enjoying just go. the stroll to him, he's usually pretty good. See, that's your demeanor. Yep. And in horses, we call it disposition, say. And so disposition, if you had to put a, uh, I don't know, a definition on it in the horse, we'd say... Uh, how would I put that? The horse's ability to relate to the rider, to accept the training. Ooh, man, do some horses do it better than others? But maybe some do it better than others because their trainer, uh, <clears throat> his disposition. I think if the horses could talk, they'd say, man, I hope I get one of those two-legged meat-eating predators with a good disposition, you know? So, because really, that's important. So he's willing to take his time. He's, he's willing to offer it up in a way I can understand. He's gonna allow me to develop uh, a good uh, foundation here. You know, he's not gonna push too hard or push too fast, you know? He's gonna change it up from time to time. He's gonna make it where the best part of my day is with him, you know, not, not standing in a 12 by 12 stall. He's gonna look forward to, to, to being with you. So that's that true relationship with your horse. See, uh, you know, I used to say that when I, like a long time ago when I worked on the ranch, I used to run a running ad in the newspaper. It said, wild cattle caught, we don't catch them, you don't pay. So, but uh, you know, it was that demeanor. And I always used to remember that, it seemed like the guys that had one horse and one dog had a really good horse and a really good dog. And the guy that had like six or seven horses and five or six dogs, he had all, they were all kind of mediocre. So, you know, so, uh, so, you know, so if you could have that really good relationship with your horse where he really knew you and you really knew him and there was a, a bond and a trust uh, going on there, I think, uh, man, uh, that's when you make those magical horses. So let's talk about the opposite end of this. I think riders that what makes a, a poor horseman or poor horsemanship is frustration and lack of patience absolutely you but you show me a guy those those things you just you show me a guy that gets mad you show me guys gets impatient frustrated upset and i'll show you a guy that's not a horseman because that's it's like life and you Good days and bad days, highs and lows, ups and downs. You just gotta be able to roll with them and stay positive and stay good. And and that horse, he'll come through for you. You know, if you're gonna be mad and take it out on that horse and get really rough with him and scare him and hurt him, uh, man, I'll tell you what, you you take away that that 
that important component of trust and respect and confidence. See, confidence is, uh, again, you gain it or lose it, one of the two. And so, man, I want to I wanna end on a good note every day. Man, I put my hands on my horses. I, I rub them and pet them, and they know I like them. Man, hell, I, I'm not afraid to say I love horses. I love horses, man. I, everything I got's from the horse, you know. And, and think of it this way. You judge a good, when it comes to the, to the horse part, you judge a, uh, uh, a good cowboy by his horse. So you, you, get, you see these guys riding really nice horses. That, that says something about that guy. But if he's riding a kind of a troubled or a bothered or a nervous horse, and maybe that says something about him too. So, uh, you know, there's just a lot of things to uh, look at, a lot of different ways to look at it. Well, and, and that's, that's something that we run into a lot. With a lot of the videos that we're doing uh, for X Factor, we have a, a ton of horsemanship videos. That's, that's kind of one of our biggest things that we've tried to improve on in the last couple of years. Uh, because when we get frustrated, it's not that we don't like horses, some of us, but we don't know, we, we think our horse is trying to, for lack of a better word, screw us over or do, you know, kind of give us the bird that day. And, (laughs) and what I think a lot, a lot of it is we don't understand the cue that we're giving our horse. Mm -hmm. And do you think that that's a lot of it is if we're, if we're having a bad day on our horse, do is that something you try to do or you recommend is just, hey, do I, do I sit back and look, okay, this is what I told this horse to do. This is why I missed this steer because I told him to do that. And then you can kind of look at these like, hey, the, he probably learned this from me and yeah. he's learning from me, but I don't quite know how to fix that. Is that, is, is that kind of the mindset you try <laughs> to get into where it's like it, it kind of takes away from the maybe the lack of knowledge or, you know, the, the ability to, obviously we're going to get frustrated at times, but understand like, Hey, it's, well, it's just part of it. You know, it's just life. And so when you find those spots, stop for a minute, take, put that pause, put that recess in there, step off, loosen your cinch for a minute, give it, I swear when you make it a, what's the word I'm looking for? When you, when you make it a problem, uh, uh, you know, it, it becomes a problem. Sometimes just, just, just back off for a minute. Just give your horse and yourself a break for a minute. If you if you make it an issue, it can become an issue. So sometimes just stopping for a moment, step off the horse, walk away, make a phone call. In the old days, we'd say smoke a cigarette, right. <laughs> you know, whatever. Smoke break. And sometimes I swear, when you come back, I swear that problem will be gone. But if you just start hammering and getting, you know, just and you, and you get out of control mentally, uh, then uh, sometimes I think you be, get counterproductive. So, again, I'm not saying there isn't a time to, to uh, again, what did we say? Make the wrong thing difficult and the right thing easy. But just going back to some basics, going back to some fundamentals, slowing things down, finding control again, starting over. Uh, again, sometimes you'll just get right back where you need to be. But hammering and, and scaring these horses and stuff like that, I think sometimes you can compound that problem. Well, when you when we lose our patience, that's usually where it comes from. And yeah. so instead of, if there is a problem, if we can be patient with this mm-hmm. and say, hey, you know what? I, 
I was probably giving the incorrect cues. Yeah. And you take the break or whatever. It might be the deal where you just try to find that good spot to quit them. Yeah. And the next day, you try to get a little bit of it back or you try yeah. to build on it. And I think that's where a lot of the great horsemanship comes from. And that's where a lot of the guys really lack is that day they they hammer it's uh they yeah. want to press they yeah. want to press through it and really what happens is it goes back to what we we're saying or you're saying earlier if you're moving fast and and continue to do this only so much yeah. is going to be processed in one day and taken yeah. in that's but, right yeah but the fear or whatever the lack of confidence is something that stays yeah. real oh, easy man, that could be hard you, you may never get that confidence back 100 percent if you scare your horse bad enough one thing that gives me patience is i'm always i try to remember the horses most of the time he's only doing what he thinks he's supposed to do so you have to give him a reason to change but not through pain, not through fear, just through the work. Just turn it into work. Not, not, don't make it hard, just make it difficult. The wrong thing difficult, the right thing easy. See, the wrong thing pressure, the right thing release. But again, give him a chance and allow him. And remember, in a lot of ways, they're like you and me. They learn from their mistakes if you set it up correctly. That, that's how do you get experience? Experience <clears throat> comes from a lot of time doing the wrong thing, you know? So experience comes along uh, right after you really needed it. You know what I'm saying? So, right. so again, allow yourself and allow your horse to make some of these mistakes. And if you'll just learn from it, from them, then they become productive, not counterproductive. So you must, the one thing, the one thing you can absolutely do, and that's control your emotions, no excuse. To, uh, to not lose control of your emotions with your dog, your kids, your uh, uh, your horse, or whatever you know, you can't control your emotions. So, so just stay cool and think of yourself like if somebody was filming you. You know, like I, I, like sometimes when I get like that, I, so here's what I do. I say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pretend Tom Dorrance or. Ray Hunt, or your favorite horseman, the, the horseman, the roper, the team roper you admire the most in the world was sitting there watching you. And uh, you pretend they're watching, or pretend you're like me, I have to perform a lot of times in front of literally thousands of people. Don't do anything you wouldn't do in front of your favorite team roper, or if you were performing in front of a thousand people, showing them how to handle a horse. It's because if you're gonna do something you would do uh, like when there's just you and that horse, then you're not being true to yourself and you're not being true to that horse. You know, you must be the real deal. You know, uh, that, that's important. So, so again, uh, I want to stay consistent and stay real and I'm not going to do anything at home and in my arena by myself that I wouldn't do in front of a thousand people or in front of my favorite horsemen. Be the real deal at home. Yeah. That's right. Be, be the real deal all the time. That's authenticity. So be authentic. You know, be the real deal. And if you slow down and be patient, I swear you're going to be more productive than if you get mad and start hammering and scaring these horses. You know, uh, they don't they don't do well under those conditions. Well, and I and Charlie Crawford said this uh, to me, and I, I loved it. But when you got to go to whip, that's usually when a lack of knowledge ends. 
you, when you that's whip, right. that's exactly correct. You don't know what to do. Yeah, that's exactly right. See, uh, so so think ahead. Be a thinker. I always say think while you ride. So while I'm riding, I'm saying to myself, Craig, sit in the center. Craig, turn loose that horse. You know, Craig, Craig, sit back. Craig, roll those hips. You know, Craig, prepare ahead of time. I'm telling myself what to do. So when you start doing that, your body will start responding. So failing to prepare is preparing to fail. So again, when knowledge ends, frustration and abuse begins. And I think that's what your friend was saying right there. Yep. And he's, I, I, man, I'm, I'm with him 100% on that. So let's talk about uh, using one rein. <laughs> I, I, you know, we uh, we covered it a little bit when we were videoing, and and for anyone that's interested on your website, you've got some great articles on there. But you talk about the importance of using one rein. Where did that? Where did you start developing that? And <laughs> how, how, like how to how to use these one reins and one rein stops and things like that. Well, you know, like uh, today, like in the first guy I ever saw do it was Ray Hunt. Was, he started the horse, and you gotta remember this was back in the 1980s. You know, the first time I saw this, that everybody, when you started a horse, I mean, you put a bit in his mouth or you threw a hackamore. I mean, you just were gonna control that horse, you know. But Ray always started the horses with just a halter and a one lead line or, or nothing on his head. And, uh, you know, people thought, wow, that's insane, you know. But if you've prepared your horse, the secret is preparing your horse. So. If you ride with a halter, you have one rein. The trouble with handing people two reins is they immediately start pulling with two reins at the same time. And again, that can be very confusing to a horse. So if you have one rein, and like a special colt, if I lead my hand straight out to the left, that's a direct rein, pretty easy for the horse to follow. Throw it over his head and I'm going back to the right. So when I add two reins, like when I go to a snaffle bit or say a loping style hackamore, I might want to do that same thing. So I'm going to direct and support. So I'm going to, if I want to go to the right, I'm going to take my hand out to the right with a direct rein, say a horse on his first or second ride. As soon as he tips his nose to the right, then I lay the outside rein on his neck. So really I'm using one rein at a time because that's all he's going to understand. So that's a one rein technique. Like the, the one rein stop originated with the uh, just overbending a horse where you disengage his hind quarters. And uh, that might bring like say a runaway or a bucking horse to a stop. But uh, a lot of people they get a horse like a young horse or any horse uh, uh, when they get scared or take off or start bucking, the first thing they want to do is just yank on both reins. Well, sometimes that could be like <laughs> gasoline on a fire. Sometimes if you just stay composed, let them use that instinct of survival to run for a moment, pretty soon they quit running or they quit bucking. So again, it takes some composure to do that. But another type of one rein stop, which is very effective, is I might, as I go to stop, I'm gonna sit in that saddle, take my legs off. I might say, whoa, and I never say, whoa, unless I wanna stop. I don't say, whoa, when I wanna slow down. And then I might hold with run rein, pull on the other. By holding with the right rein, as I pull on the left, all it does is keep him straight. So I'm using the reins individually, and that's called being independent with your hands, independent with your reins. And so that means doing different things. So sometimes if I'm turning right with a snaffle bit, I might lift it up and out to lift his shoulder and tip his nose. I keep the left hand down to keep his head soft, keep him soft in the pole, can push my horse over. I'm doing different things with my hands 
different things with my reins. That's an independent rein action. And I can do the same thing with my legs. I might, if I'm turning to the right, I might have my left leg on and my right leg off. So I'm, I learn to be independent with your hands, with your reins, and with your seat. So a lot of that one rein technique uh, goes back to just being independent uh, with your riding skills and with your riding aids. Well, and I think that's, it's really important to understand for team ropers is we, we really want to snatch and, and pull and, and, and shove our hands right and left. And the quicker our hand gets, the, the more confusing the reaction is going to be. That's right. And, and then the other thing that, that we have to understand as, as horsemen, our cues with our legs tie in with this. So if we're trying to set a run up where a healer's setting up his entry and he's held his horse out and you're kind of holding it with maybe your left foot and and you're you've got your horse pretty well in between your reins he's not really leading in leaning on your left rein but when you start that corner in that entry you've got to be able to guide and show him that and if you dump your left hand to the left and your feet are gapping or kicking what's going to happen is that horse is just going to dive in and you're going to get these dramatic movements and then you're probably going to end up getting too close to the steer and then you're going to be pulling and you're like all this started from just not being smooth and being able to use essentially one rein or have the balance between our feet and our and our hands to give these cues and i I think that's really it's important to understand Mm -hmm. because i to be good at this is, oh, man, it's yeah. a, it's a, you're probably never gonna figure it out. We're just gonna feel like okay, <laughs> we're just gonna feel like, I, I'm learning. I think as soon as you, as soon as yeah. you feel like hey, I'm, I'm learning this, uh, that that that's good enough because it's like you said, it's it's a nonstop process yeah. of understanding how to cue these horses and yeah. and and then the other thing that we have is every horse is so different. Yeah, uh, you know, they, different. We have horses that are going to run more. They're going to be more stoppy yeah, and listen right. to your body more. Um, and you're going to have ones that are going to want to get into your hand more. So yeah. being able to, yeah. to go and understand how mm-hmm. listening to one rein or, yeah. or even two reins is, uh, you know, how to use you're each exactly individual right. side. I, I, the one thing you said a minute ago, you used the word balance. I think that's so important. And uh, when you're in horsemanship uh, or anything physical, uh, it's feel, timing, balance. So if you have the right feel, if you have the right timing, usually you get the balance. But remember, all those components can be physical, mental, and emotional. There's a physical, mental, and emotional balance. See? And so all these things to think of and to be aware of. And I think another thing you mentioned was correct, uh, that really the faster a horse goes in, in uh, say, in uh, world-class horsemanship the slower you should move your hands you guys in this team roping i am certainly no world-class roper so you know i, I you know man i i, I know what y'all do is is an amazing you know so but uh, again if you would teach your horse to guide one-handed you know how do you get there by starting with two hands see like uh, in dressage like in world-class like grand prix level dressage and english riding they're riding two-handed uh, and and one reason we ride one-handed in the Western world is because we work for a living. In other words, we, we're swinging a rope, we're shooting a gun, we're opening and closing gates, we're ponying other horses. So we, we had to teach the horse to work with one hand and, and again, work off that outside rein to you know, have both reins in one hand. So, uh, so you get there by 
going slowly, developing that. You go the tr the classic way is you start in the halter. You maybe go to a, a start with a loping hackamore. Then you do your snafflebic work for a year. Uh, then you would go to uh, the Spanish style hackamore. Then you would go to the two rein, and then you would finally finish up. Uh, straight up in the bit riding one-handed so all that can take quite a bit of time but if you if you would allow your horse to learn you would practice exercises just moving off that outside rein moving off your outside leg then pretty soon guess what you're not having to physically force these horses over to the left or to the right you're supporting it with your outside rein outside leg you're wanting these horses to be light work through a soft feel and man they become really responsive so it doesn't matter the speed you're going at you want to get that responsiveness and again if a guy would take the time to train the horse allow them to learn go through the process uh, of learning through mistakes and stuff like that man i think you'd have a better rope horse you know it's really cool to me now to see the steer wrestlers working in a snaffle bed because they thought hell we're not turning anyway we're just rolling so you know and you see these guys again if a horse really understood you wouldn't be going to bigger bits you'd be going to smaller bits so again just working more on yourself less on your horse uh I think that when you get good, the horse is going to get good. Softness. So yeah. soft is being the the lightest touch possible you can use to give the cue. Yeah. They give it and you give back, right? Is that is that well, what that, you would... Well, that's the, like if you watch a really good uh, rainer, you know, it doesn't look like he's doing a lot out there, you know, and that's beautiful. So, uh, again, you could have it the same way with your rope horse, just really light. This horse really responding to your cues. He's turning when you ask him to turn. He's not anticipating, you know, and again, that's a fast event. So, but again, that if you had that true communication between you and your horse, you know, teaching is the art of communication. Communication is two minds listening and two minds open it has to be you and the horse see so uh, uh, so again yeah I want that lightness I want that softness with these horses and then when I get that man if I go to a shank bit I'm using a shank bit I think most guys have their curb strap too tight and that's why you see these horses throw their heads up and gape at their mouth it hurts there's a lot of pressure in there like we first started talking about that 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 bit's not made out made out of cream cheese it's made out of steel and it works on leverage so if your curb straps too tight and you uh, you as you bring those shanks of the bit back the purchase goes forward it creates leverage in the chin groove not only in the chin groove but on the bars of his mouth on the tongue uh, uh, over the pole as those shanks go back it tightens the head stall at least be aware of where and how that bit works don't just throw something in his mouth I like to look at my horses are they are they uh, 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 like do they are, are their mouths right there are they shallow mouth are they deep mouth they have a fat tongue a skinny tongue you know have their teeth checked and and see how little it takes to get the horse to operate not how much loosen that curb strap you'll see these horses really relax and and, uh, and get a little bit better so again just there's a lot of things to be aware of well and ropers I mean, I know X Factor Roping has tons of footage on this, on bits, on how they work, but I think that's so important. And, and there's, there is information everywhere you want to go. And I would really suggest that is understand the bit that you put in our horse, in your horse's mouth, 
how important it is to to know how it works and why. Yeah. And and do you believe that is there, is there a magical bit? No, there's listen. I like to put it this way. It's not the bit, it's the application. Right. It's the way the guy uses it. Slow your hands down and allow that horse to follow that feel. You know, so again, be softer, be quieter with your hands. And again, look at things from the horse's point of view. A lot of things, here's something a lot of people don't think about. Remember this, you're sitting behind the horse. He's truly working through a feel. It'd be like me getting behind you. You know, I tell people, put a bit in your mouth sometime. Let me get right behind you. And you're gonna have to, you, you don't know what I want. And I'm picking up. And if I start moving to my hands real fast, that becomes very confusing to you very quickly. And pretty soon, if I start yanking and move my hands fast enough, you know what'll happen? Your head will do just what the horse did. Your mouth will come open and your head will go up. And you're like, easy. So bear in mind, the horse, a lot of times he can't even see you. He's truly working through a feel. So slow those hands down, allow him to follow that feel. And don't forget to support it with your legs right there. You know, and be, what remember what we talked about a minute ago, be independent with your legs. So it increases your vocabulary with your horse, your hands, your seats, your legs, your reins, your spurs, your lead rope, on the ground, on his back. And again, I'll say it again, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally, mind, body, and spirit. And the horse, he's got them all, I guarantee you. They really do. They really do. I, you know, um, it's fun to be around them and to see them as individuals and, and to see how they respond to, to different things. And, and I think that's where you got to know your equipment. You got to know the field that you're, and you know, you're, you're using and, and where you can improve. And that's where that self-awareness and that self-teaching yeah. every day comes in because there is no magical bit. You know, if we, we got to know what our bit's supposed to do. We got to know what the curb chain, you know, that the tighter it is, the quicker the reaction is and, and little things like that, the leverage on our bits that they provide, what a, what a solid mouth piece does, what a snaffle and, and, and understand like, Hey, this horse is, his mouth is kind of built like this. This is probably what he needs. And, and, and then the other one is like, do we need our horses? Do they need help bridling up? You know, is a chain bit going to help bridle my horse up on one that's not? And, and, you know, and knowing the differences on stuff like that, because the more knowledge we have, the, the better off we're going to get, the more we're going to get out of it, and the better we're going to be at things. It's so true. See, if you go back to foundation, like you look at true bridle horses, like a, and rain cow horse, I mean, when you pick up, like the vaqueros, when they look like you watch a Grand Prix dressage level horse, he travels collected all the time. Now, there, there's a, there is a fascinating word, collection. Most people could never even give you a definition of collection. They would say, you know, you know, the horse, you know, with his head down, you know, you know, uh, uh, it, it, they never, it's just, it's just mumbo jumbo. But to have an understanding of what collection is and what it achieves and why you would do it. Now that, now that makes you have more of an understanding. Ah, oh, that, that would help me. That, that would help me. So collection is a position that allows a weight transfer from the front end to the engaged hind quarters. In other words, the horse is built heavy on the front end. So if we could position him in a way where you just made this subtle transfer of weight from that heavy front end to the hind end where he had the same amount of weight 
on all four feet, he'd be thusly what? That word you used before, balanced. So collection is about balance. So again, like a, a good cow pony, I want him to travel in a natural way, but if I pick up on that rein, what do I want him to do? The same thing, a Grand Prix level dressage horse to collect up, to soften in his lower jaw, to soften in his pole. Because when he softens in his lower jaw and his pole, guess what? He's soft all over his whole body. If you're gonna yank on that bit, what's he gonna do? He's gonna lock his jaw, which locks his pole, which makes him stiff all over. No wonder you can't guide your horse. So again, to see these things, to understand these, have a better person. Ah, why didn't somebody tell me that a long time ago? Exactly, correct. Yeah, I wish they had. So we're learning as we go. One door opens about a hundred more. I swear, the more you learn, the more you realize you need to learn. It's an ongoing, lifetime learning experience. That's what horsemanship is. So if we could get these horses to be soft, to trust us, see, trust us. Trust from the horse's point of view would be a belief, a belief that you'd never do anything to hurt him. I don't want to hurt my horses. I might ride them all day. I might drive uh, 40 calves to the fire at a branding. I might ride 20 miles a day, but I don't do nothing to hurt you, see. And see, see he, he, you must give your horse a reason to trust you. That's really important from the horse's point of view. And then the other word you used was awareness. Awareness is the ability to what? Sense, hear, feel, and learn. All the little lessons that are going on around you all the time. Wake up and get that learning frame of mind just like you want your horse to be. Why? Because the horse seeks the level of the rider. So again, you know, as you get better, that horse is going to get better. Do you think the, the mindset of riding the horses for what they are is a good way to go into riding? Like, a, you know, if I've got, let's just say I've got four or five head horses, and it's really easy to have them want to do it a certain way and, and work a certain feel. And what I find is my dad is the best at it. When he gets on them, he's, he really actually doesn't care how broke they are. Like he, he's, he ropes great, but he knows how to get them to the spot and how to show a horse to, to, to basically work through confidence and, and do it. But he can do it on a horse that's really, really fast. He can do it on a horse that oh, might be ready. But he, he always tells me, I ride them for what they are. And, and is that something that you kind of... Is it, do you like that mindset of riding? I, I like it because I, I, I want to ride this horse like he is today, do a good job so tomorrow he'll be better. But you got to ride him. You can't ride him the way you want him next week or next month or next year. You do got to ride him like he is today. And just from what you're saying, I visualize your dad just getting the best out of each horse because I think the best horseman, what came to mind when you were speaking about your dad was that he's probably very casual around the horses. I love that. I think the best horsemen are very casual around these horses so that the horses can relax and then they're able to communicate with them with what all the pieces of equipment that we talked about as well as physically mentally emotionally see mind body spirit you go back to that spirit see you might have to uh, someone might say well what is that well why don't you think about it? why don't you come up with your own definition maybe of what the spirit of the horse is I mean it's sort of elusive and, uh, but I think it's just uh, uh, a, a real deal. So, but again, to be casual and relaxed so that the horse can be the same. The horse seeks the level of the rider. 
Okay, so I like that. So today, yeah, if I'm going to ride that horse for what he is today, and maybe if I do a good job, then tomorrow he'll be better. Well, and that's that's usually what happens. And I, I, I've just have watched it my whole life. I never really understood it until the last few years when I'm like, wow, he, he's made so many head horses. And I've went, and very few of his do not work out. At some level, someone ends up in our family using them, and they're usually really high, high-end horses. And I, and it's all been just because he, you know, these horses, oh, he, he it, yeah. they, like head horses especially, they're, I find that they're really different in the box. Like there's not a really tried and true way to just make a horse sit and not mm. score off the gates. Yeah. And so some horses you kind of got to, you can hold on to their mouth just a little bit more. Some you kind of got to go a looser rein and maybe uh-huh. move their head to the inside. Yeah. And there's all these different ways. And he can kind of just, he almost gets by them a little bit right there. Yeah. And what happens is they get real confident and then you get used to how they like to, to yeah. do it. And then all of a sudden it just lights out. See, I love what you're saying. He's adjusting to fit the horse situation and circumstance. That's what a horseman does. And also what he's doing is he's waiting. He's not making it happen. He's fixing it up and waiting for it to happen. We're trying to make it happen. Just allow it to happen. Let it happen. Fix it up and wait. And remember, waiting doesn't mean doing nothing. So again, sometimes you have to wait till they develop that understanding. They develop that feeling. And so again, that's why it takes time to make a nice horse. So sounds like your dad, again, is, has a great grasp on it. He's not in a rush. He's not in a hurry. He's casual. He's fixing it up and waiting and adjusting to fit each horse, each situation, and each circumstance. That's what I call a horseman. Right. And what I think it happens is to put it in sports terms, what makes a great team? I, I believe it's chemistry. Mm-hmm. And what you're doing is you're building that chemistry. So you know how your horse is going to be comfortable in those situations. And he knows you, you know him, but then that way you're not in an unfamiliar situation when you, like, whatever, you're in a big, big moment, yes. you, you know how to react and you know, right. you know what to do. And I think that's where chemistry and you see these headers and these healers everyone's a little bit different and all these horses are a little bit different but what makes them winners and what exactly. really sets a difference yeah. i think is these guys that can really win through their horses and the chemistry that they have is is where i i think they get very special you know you got to believe in yourself and believe in your horse and that goes back to that positive thinking as well just little things like like controlling your emotions. See, we say mind, body, spirit, physical, mental, emotional. So when you're going to compete, you, you, you have to learn to think positive and, and get in a, a good frame of mind. Just, I'm enjoying this. Not like, oh God, I'm gonna screw up. I, I drove a bad cow. That's, that, you're, you're, you, those are the people that beat themselves. Yep. And, and the guys that win, they love guys like that because they're easy to beat. So when you learn to think positive, be positive, live positive, control your breathing. That's, that's like just taking a deep breath and slowing your heart rate and enjoying the moment. Man, I put myself here. You know, I'm not in the stands. I'm down here. And even if you miss, if you go out there and you throw a bad loop, you think, God dang it. All right. You know what? I'm not going to let that happen next time. I know exactly what I did wrong. Guess what? It becomes positive. You something good came out. Don't go out there beating it. Just God damn. Now that's all it's going to do. You're going to compound the problem. 
think positive and always look like a winner. So learn something from that. Write out thinking about what happened so that you got something good out of it. Guess what? When you come back, you're going to be better. You know, everybody has good days and bad days, but what the winners do is they learn from each one of those. Like Larry Mann was great at that. You know, Muhammad Ali, that, that was all that hype he did. That was to help himself to, to gain his own confidence. He was just telling himself, I'm the best, I'm the best. He was making himself believe that, you know, and a great uh, 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 competitor is the best in the world. That's what they do. I, I really agree, and, and so that's something I love to study is just guys that know how to win and that's these guys right. that have this that, that mindset of winners. And when you get talking to those special athletes in whatever discipline it is from you know professional sports mm -hmm. to professional radio, there's, there's a lot of common things you see. But the one thing is that, I, that they always go back to, especially in the training and when things are tough, it's that if they think – about winning and how to perform right. correct they you know they're more likely to do it and a lot of these people they might give you the impression that they're not positive but they know like when they're talking about it they're yeah. talking about how to win not why they lost that's right that's exactly like I, like one of my best friends is ted noose and he was world champion bull rider i think in the 85 he made the national finals like like in bull riding, this is pretty amazing. He made it like 13 or 14 years in a row. I mean, that's pretty amazing in bull riding, but uh, it, it was all about positive thinking. Like his traveling partner was Charlie Sampson. That's what they did. They listened to positive thinking tapes and they just lived it and they breathed it. So today, even when I talk to Ted, we, we talk about that a lot. Like I was preparing to go to the, at 71 years old, I was going until I got postponed to the Colt starting uh, world championships now if you let yourself you could think of a million things that could go wrong but you have to train yourself to do exactly the opposite picture yourself doing everything right picture yourself winning that event you know i won that event in 2010 and so i, I i'm i'm practicing out there uh, starting colts every day but I, i'm telling myself you know you could do this you're, you're gonna do it you know you're gonna get you're gonna draw a really good horse i don't say oh what's gonna happen if i draw this or you everything must be positive it becomes a lifestyle it becomes a habit i think that's what you're saying as well pace that that it becomes a habit it's it's what winners do it's what it's really to be the best that's what you almost have to do and so uh, you can train yourself to do that or you can train yourself to do the opposite most people do the opposite they're always worried about what's going to happen or oh i hate this pattern or geez they, they're they they beat themselves before they ever get out there learn train yourself teach yourself not to do that and so like in team roping i think that positive mindset becomes very important you know as you ride in there you're enjoying the moment you're concentrating you're thinking positive you're controlling your breathing you're you tell yourself i'm ready i'm here I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna have a great run so i think that's important uh, the road to the horse, right? Is that is that the name of the? Yeah, road okay. to the horse. Okay, so the road to the horse, because I I think this is, I, I want to hear what you've got to say about this. Um, I, I you're a very positive person, and, and a winner, and have had this great career. But 
I, I think it's natural in human nature to have negative thoughts or doubts. Truly, without a doubt. What do you do when you get those? Hey, force them out. Don't let them in there. Chase them out of there and replace them with a positive thought. It, it, you, just, you just have to do it. You know, you just, you just get them, you just, just, I don't care if you have to slap yourself in the face, get that negative thought out, replace it with a positive image and a positive thought. You know, and if you've been practicing and working and working out and, and doing the things you're, you, you know, you keep telling yourself, man, I, I am right, I'm good. Ooh, I'm going to, I'm going to be so good. I'm going to do so great here. I am so ready. You know, I can't wait to get there, you know, so positive, 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 positive input, you know, more apt to give you a positive result. So, so again, train yourself to do that and replace those negative thoughts with positive thoughts just understand that it's a negative thought and how to like almost address it immediately you get it out of there and then now it's a pause and not this is why it's good this is why it's place it with a positive thought and a positive image you know that's what that's what positive uh that's what a lot of like uh all all the professional athletes you know you think about tennis uh, the professional the best in the world tennis players baseball players football players hockey you know one thing they all have in common they all have a coach. Right. They all have coaches, even at the highest level. You know, uh, Tiger Woods, he has a coach. And so that's, that's important sometimes that you have somebody that you can visit with or talk with or, or somebody that's, that's been there before that was, was a winner. And you're able to talk to them, and it's all positive, 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 see? And so, uh, you know, you, again, you know, you know, like in rodeo, you, we always say, you know what I'm going to say, or uh, you, you travel with a winner, you're more apt to be a winner. You right. Know? And so you want to surround yourself with, with positive people and, and surround yourself with winners, you know, and, and then you're more apt to be a winner because they're going to think like that, they're going to talk like that, they're going to prepare like that. So when I rode bulls, I, I realized sometimes if you, you took your girlfriend, you didn't talk about bull riding. <laughs> right. But if you traveled with another bull rider or so, you, what did you do the whole way to the rodeo? You rode bulls. You talked about bulls. You talked about technique. You talked about style. You, you knew those bulls. You were more prepared to ride when you got there, you know. So, yeah, yeah. So, and then the, that uh, mental part of the game is, uh, is pretty potent, yeah. Well, and, and I think the other thing is we pick up. And this is why I think everything is getting so more competitive as yeah. as as technology becomes more available. Mm-hmm. Is I can pick up on habits, or I can listen to a podcast like this, and I can pick up on things you do, and that makes us advance so much faster. So mm-hmm. someone that is not close to the guys that are that that are at the top of the game can still find a way to connect with oh, them and pick up on it. And you could you could just listen to. I love. One of my favorite things to do is watch all kinds of documentaries about successful people. Yep. I just watched one uh, uh, on Formula One racing. They talked about Fazio. I'd never even heard of it. They, every race car driver, when they said who was the best in the world, they, they talked about this guy named Fazio. But it was his mental game that got him there a lot of times. He really believed in himself. He was a great mechanic himself. But, you know, you watch watch a documentary on... on uh, uh, you know Muhammad Ali or any great athlete. You know they uh, you can learn from them and get motivated. You know so it doesn't have to just be your sport, but you use it in your 
a discipline, your sport. And it doesn't matter if you're a number 10 roper or a number one roper. You, you're still, you're, you're using this stuff to your advantage. You're learning how to be a better competitor and a better horseman. And, it's, and you're enjoying the process. You're having fun doing it, you know? And, uh, and when you have fun, man, uh, and you have that great attitude, that disposition, that feel, you work from the inside of you to the inside of your horse. Man, I tell you what, it's hard, hard to stop somebody like that. Yeah. You can't beat that person. Someone that, <laughs> someone that loves the process and just truly loves. And you it know, what? even the best in the world, you know, gonna have a miss. So that should be like inspiring to you. You know, when you watch Trevor Brazil and. My God, the guy is just a machine. But every now and then you say, oh, wow, Trevor missed. You know, well, everybody, you know, uh, you look at Sage Kimsey or, or Jess Lockwood or Jose Vitor Lemmy. I mean, they don't ride every bull. But so, so that you say, hey, well, that's true. Not, you know, even the best in the world have off days. So that's part of it. So I'm right there with them. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get better. So keep telling yourself positive stuff and learning from everybody in every event. What about nerves? Is that yeah. something, I mean, you've, you've been riding bulls. Uh, I know that you went to the rodeos back in the day and, and, and did, <laughs> did you do all the events at the rodeos yeah, too? No, I, I mostly specialized. I won my card in, uh, bareback and bull riding but then i mostly uh, specialized in the bull riding yeah. okay so even like the the road to the horse yeah getting in in that into the event and when it kind of starts there's yeah. you know obviously when things get rolling but there's there's going to be butterflies right oh man without a doubt it, it's it's nerve right it's grueling to waiting to get there Really, the, my favorite time is when you actually walk in the pen and get to start going to work. That's when I feel the most relaxed. But beforehand, yeah, you bet those nerves. If, if you let yourself, uh, you know, don't let yourself find yourself slipping into those negative aspects, those negative thoughts. You, you just keep replacing them, keep visualizing positive, positive, positive. So you fight those off. You, It's a fight, see? You know, championships aren't aren't given they're earned you know opportunities you must seize the opportunity when it's there you know uh and take advantage of it that's that's what greatness comes from you know the hard the hard part of it whether it's team roping or bull riding or or cult starting the hard is what makes it great so so if if everybody could do it, well, everybody would do it. But, but you know, you're getting in there, you're grinding it out, you're practicing, and now you're learning to be better by positive thinking and better horsemanship. You're willing to to work harder to be that be the best you can be. So, uh, so again, remember the the saying: you can always better your best. So that's what you're trying to do day by day. So fight those nerves off. Be a fighter, and uh, and seize the opportunity and uh, rise to the challenge and uh, you know and just and be and just be that way you can be proud of yourself that's important right right we're we've been going on the podcast for a minute i got a few more questions we're going to get to uh one just i i love these questions just uh, i try to get some in here like this but you know you talked about being you're you're a lifelong learner you are a student of your passion so what, what's been the biggest thing you picked up in the last, I mean, year or so, the biggest habit that you've applied to your life? 
Well, I like what you talked about passion. I always say passion is power, a love of what you do. Find something you love to do, you know. And, uh, you know, my dad told me a long time ago, I never forget him telling me this. He, he said, uh, uh, you know, want to know the, would you like to know the secret to success? This was when I was about 20 or 21 and riding bulls, and I wasn't dumb enough even at 20 to say no to that. I said, no, I'd, I'd love to know the secret to success, success. He said, find something you'd gladly do for free and then get somebody to pay you to do it. <laughs> I never forgot that. So, right. so uh, uh, but I, I, I think the thing I'm learning most is to just enjoy the moment, enjoy what you do, you know, realize how lucky you are and be patient, enjoy that slowing down and that learning process and that, that you know, just finding that experience uh, each day, developing more of it. I, I love it, you know. I love the, the just taking my time and just being better at what I do. I think maybe that's what I'd say, taking my time and being better at what I do. Slowing down and enjoying that experience. Yeah, and, and being better, yeah. Yeah, I love that. All right, what's, uh, what's been the biggest lesson you've learned from a horse or training horses? What is, uh, so let me, let, me, let me make sure I get this across. <laughs> What has been the biggest thing that uh, the ho- training horses has taught you? Mm, gosh, it could be so much because horsemanship is just like life. You know, you get what you give. So if you give it rough and tough, you're going to get it rough and tough. So, but uh, I think to uh, just uh, be humble and to be kind, you know, and to be willing to give back to others, you know. Uh, uh, I, I like doing that, you know, people that, that want to learn, I, I, I want to help them, you know. I want to give as much as I can to people and to horses. To just, I think by doing that, we just can make it a altogether better world. Just be more giving, uh, more kind, more loving, if you will, you know. Uh, you see somebody without a smile, well, heck, give them one of yours. It's just amazing the response that you can give. But I think it works the same with the horses, you know. The more you give, the more they give. So, uh, yeah, I'm still learning every day. So uh, I just try to remain uh, uh, better and more just be humble and kind. What about the biggest mistake you've ever made training horses? <laughs> well, that'd be a long list. <laughs> that'd be a long list, you know, because we're all making mistakes. Because, But, again, that's how we learn through our mistakes, for sure. But, uh, gosh, I've, I've done a lot of things. Uh, I remember one time, this was a long time ago, I think before I ever even met Ray Hunt or something, I was trying to train horses and on my family's ranch in Giddings and I just started out and people back then, whoo, boy, they would bring you some rough wild horses back in those days. And uh, anyway, I remember they brought me this like like uh, six or seven year old Opelousa stallion. Oh, so boy. that was three strikes against me right there. <laughs> I'm just teasing you Opelousa people. So anyway, but he was just, uh, he was, they had never been started. And I, remember, and I was just a kid, you know, uh, probably, 20 years, 20-something years old, just young, and trying to figure things out. But anyway, so I, I was in this old wooden round pen, and I was in there trying to do my thing, and man, this horse, and he was a stud horse, and whew, he was he was intimidating. Finally, he was doing something, and I, I just picked up a rock, and I wanted to 
throw it, and I, I was going to throw it as hard as I could. And I just wanted to hit him like in the rib cage or something. I, man, I reared back and threw it like whitey forward at that thing, and it hit him right on his occipital bone, and it knocked him down. And I went, oh my God, I killed the horse. Well, he, he was tough enough. He just shook it off and stood up. But right then, I never forget, I can still see it perfectly. I said, I will never, ever do anything like that again because it scared me because I, I really thought maybe I killed that horse, you know? But, because uh, he just went down like, but he just got up and he was fine. But I learned something from that, you know, maybe God, did that to me, you know, so, but I said, you know what, I'm never going to lose my temper. I'm never going to do anything like that again. Right. And then what about horse trainers? For those, for those people out there training horses, what do you think is the biggest mistake that you see horse trainers make? I, I think the biggest mistake is too much of a rush, too much of a hurry, trying to make it happen, you know, slow down, take your time, feel of the horse and feel for the horse so that you can both feel together. Put those pauses and put those recesses in there. And I think you and those horses will both do better. So uh, again, you can do it your way. And uh, but again, present it in a way you can understand, giving the time it takes for us to understand and slow down, take your time, be more patient, quit being in a hurry. Right. I think that, uh... If anyone hears some snorting, we got our uh, little, if you follow me on Instagram, you know, we got a little Frenchie named Martin and he's, he's hanging out with us now, but he, he kind of, he snorts a little bit when he breathes. But uh, I think if you're looking for that aspect of it, the, a trainer, making sure that that's, I, I totally agree. I think that's something if you're, if you're, you know, there's one thing, if you're looking for these horses to be trained and what they, what they're going to do, but. You know your trainer's demeanor. Are they a person that wants to spend time with the horses? Yeah. Don't feel like they're in a rush or pressed, and uh, there's out there out there with them. Because that's that's the one thing I I feel like the more trainers you go to in, in, in every discipline, yeah. the best ones in the world they love to be out there with their yeah, horses. Yeah. They love to be with them. I, I was over there at Chad Masters the other day, and he's got this beautiful facility just built, and he has a lot of horses around. There. I don't even know how many. And, uh, and I, and I tell the story a lot, but, uh, he had a jackpot when it was raining over there. Austin Robertson put on a jackpot at his house and they're, everyone's kind of got their horses tied up and I was leading one over to tie him up. And he says, Pace, not a lot of places to tie up over here. I'm like, no, it's, this is great. He says, well, we're really not into tying them up. We like to ride them <laughs> around here. And, and, but you know, that, I think that's what makes people great is, is that, that mindset of they, he, he likes to be out there with them. You know, the, the great guys are out there working at it every day and, and they're, you know, they they might be try they're trying to get things done, but they know. You know, it's just that it's that love of what you do. You, yep. you, you got to love it, you know, to be great at anything. I think you got to love it. So, yeah, I love those horses. I like everything about them. I like the way they look. I like the way they smell. I like putting my hands on them. You know, I just like them old horses. Doesn't mean we don't run into some tough ones, but, you know, in reality, it's the tough ones that actually end up teaching you the very most. And so, uh, you know, it's kind of the way life is anyway. But, yeah, I think... You know, if you're going to send your horse to somebody, make sure it's somebody reputable that's going to do a good job, put their heart into it, and uh, uh, and be good to your horse at the same time. Well, and and I think this all goes down to like man, this is how I look at it. I, I love horses. I I'm the worst. I can't sell them. I just <laughs> I, I mean, we we raise a few, not too many, but I just I cannot. I can hardly 
I can hardly sell them. It's just I, I, <laughs> I love my horses. Too, huh? But what it, what really gets me is I'm like, I, this is I'm only gonna have so many years with this horse, uh-huh. and you you know you kind of gotta learn to enjoy that because it's uh-huh. like. Man, you, when you really add it up, you don't get that many moments on each horse. You kind of, you know, each one that you ride, and it's yeah. like, hey, I might only get this experience once yeah. or twice. Yeah, that's right. And the older I've gotten, I've, I've now had a few that I've raised that have gotten up to like 15, 18 yeah. that we've retired. And you're like, wow, I, I've had some big moments at reopens or rodeos on them. You're like, you know, that that was it. That's all. I only got one or two chances on that horse. And at at in a big situation you're like wow i and i and i was lucky i i took it all in and i feel like i remembered everything about it and i really had a great experience yeah. but also you know it, it's easy for us to forget that and, and oh, but that's yeah. but that's really what i like about roping i that's where my passion is i don't really care to to go up and down the road rodeoing as much like i i love that aspect but i i like the horses i like i like roping on them i like yeah. having that relationship yeah, so that's I like what i them get too. I, I just like being around them and that is cool you know that uh you know you found something like like one of those disciplines like roping you love to rope I, it's so cool you know roping has gotten so popular and uh i love that because more people get a chance to to go back to that cowboy way that cowboy tradition that that uh, uh, and, and that's what makes you know I think everybody in America has a little bit of cowboy and I mean if you're from New York City you know we're proud that the, the, the cowboy really is an American deal I mean they have cowboys now in France and Germany and all that but by gosh it originated here in America you know and so I hope we can keep that tradition alive and well like our kids if they have horses they learn how to work they learn responsibility they learn how to win and they learn how to lose I mean again it's just teaching them about life what a wonderful thing you know so uh, yeah and those horses like you're saying there's some horses that are like people that you'll you'll remember a lot longer than you do some people you've met you know and yeah we've had some of the horses that we have a uh, a little cemetery for some of our horses that have died on the range that just were such great horses and I'm like you I've got uh, three of them that are uh, now retired that they're old and uh, but I'm just giving them the best life they can till they finally you know just pass on but uh, you know you're always trying to give something back right well Craig we we talked about this at the beginning of the uh, at the beginning you you know you do tons of clinics uh, you as well as private clinics at the house and you have so much going on which i i would love to do another podcast so we could dive into some rodeo stories and i, I mean yeah, we were right we were almost two hours today and i was like you know wow. there's just so much that i want to talk about we've still. been here two hours i think hour and 49 <laughs> minutes something like that Boy, so, that does roll by doesn't it oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah um but uh where where's the best place to find you uh and kind of get in contact with you if you'd like to do some you know meet up for some horsemanship clinics yeah, or yeah you know. we do the like you can look us up at craigcameron.com or ridesmart.com uh, and uh, uh, my son is also putting on clinics and you know he has just come such i'm so proud of him he's he's 32 and i think he's really finding that spot where we're talking about he's slowing things he does boy he starts so many colds and he ropes and does rain count but he's finally to that spot where he's slowing down and really feeling of those horses and making great horses so really proud of him but uh yeah you can go to craigcameron.com we have a wonderful facility right here uh, uh close to stevenville texas and of course we're still on the road right now uh, as well traveling around the country putting on this stuff and 
hopefully things get going better. I think America's, you know, are going to spring back no matter what happens. We're just tough people, and, and especially the cowboys and the cowgirls, you know, I love them. But, uh, man, it's been a real privilege and pleasure to be here with you, Pace. You guys do such a great job with the X Factor roping I and mean, you guys are covering some ground and really bringing this to the forefront and making it better for the, the horses and the ropers everywhere so uh, just cowboys and horsemen in general so I hope you keep up your good work and I'd love to come back and visit with you again sometime well I really appreciate it Craig and yeah we're, we'll just plan on it because I yeah like I said there's a lot more that I want to dive into with the road to the horse and you know and and rodeo and it was rodeo ones changed a little bit <laughs> and uh and the you know these stories uh my grandpa he he would go bulldog at the rodeos as you kind of hear about that and and the setups and how everything is yeah. has really changed so i i'd love to just kind of sit oh, and visit about fun. all that i'd love to do that so. all right well we'll make sure we have the link and everything to the website on this podcast so if you guys want to find craig you can as well as cole I, i'm around cole a little bit he he'll come over and we'll, we'll rope a little bit and so uh, yeah, he does a great job. So I, I'm, I'm. It's pretty awesome to just watch you guys and the understanding, the amount of knowledge that you have on how a horse works and the ability to understand a horse is. It's obviously a lifelong work. I mean, it, it is. Oh yeah, we, you know, it is our life, you know, and uh, uh, we love the horses and the cowboy way. We're, we feel so blessed to have what we have, get to do what we do, be an American, and again, we thank our troops, and uh, we love to give all the glory to uh, God and uh, for what we have and what we get to do. So again, uh, very fortunate and uh, uh, thank, thankful every day. Yeah, absolutely. We're so blessed. Well, thanks again. Thank you, Pace.